Welcome to another episode of Consensus Unreality. Before we get to tonight's interview, this is a brief advertisement to ask you to check out patreon.com slash consensus unreality. It's where we host about half of our episodes. So for $5 a month, you'll get access to all of our exclusive episodes, our full episode archive, exclusive written content, our Discord server, and more. Um, We also just created our new $10 a month patron and print club member tier. Uh, So for $10 a month, you'll get five of our new Journal of Shells annually. Uh, This is a new printed zine from Consensus Unreality, which includes articles, uh, original artwork, and other written content. Um, We're super excited about this. We just got our first one printed up, and it came out beautifully. Um, That tier will also include some exclusive print goodies like posters and other stuff. Uh, that you can only get at patreon.com slash consensus unreality. If you enjoy what we do, it's the best way to support our show. We thank you for listening and enjoy the interview. Welcome to another episode of Consensus Unreality, here with your hosts, Ben speaking, and Dave, uh, quiet. We are joined today by Sarah Chait, the artist and recent uh, resident at the Wilhelm Reich Museum, although you might want to give that a hard V if you are uh, of the Germanic type but I tend to not do that. So we're we're talking to Sarah today about uh, Reich and sort of what it's like, you know, investing time in that little sub-world out there in the very top of Maine. So yeah, it yeah, seems like an I interesting like place. Boxes. Yeah. Orgone boxes and yeah, all that like stuff. Boxes. Uh, well, so welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ben and David. I really appreciate it. I'm very happy to be on here. Um, yeah, no, I um, I guess a good place to start for me is how I got into Wilhelm Reich, because yeah. when I was working at the museum or even just, you know, applying to the position and getting, you know, rubbing shoulders with people in the Reich world, the first question they always ask you is, how did you discover Reich? Which, you know, is a good place to start for such an iconoclastic character. Um, and, um, sorry if my voice is kind of froggy, um, I have bronchitis, so I'm, I'm so sorry about that, but I, um, I grew up with William Steig's books, you know, the guy who wrote Sylvester and the Magic Pebble, Shrek the Book, Dominic, personal favorite of mine, and, um, when I was a teenager, I think around, like, 15 or so, my mother got me for Hanukkah um, a book of Steig's illustrations that he did for other people from not his own books or not for the New Yorker. And I remember seeing the ones that he did for Wilhelm Reich's um, very angry essay, Listen, Little Man. And I remember, again, being, you know, like a pretty impressionable teenage girl who didn't know anything about anything being like, wow, these drawings hit me in some sort of way and I don't fully understand it, but there's something there and that's meaningful and I need to get my hands on this book. 
And <laughs> somehow I did. And I read it. And again, I was like, I, I still don't fully get this, but I'm very moved and I agree with what he's saying. And, you know, I feel for, for lack of a better term, called out. This is, I feel very recognized. I feel like my bullshit's really recognized as well as my own potential. That's super cool. And um, after that, I did not do any reading or any further research on Reich hmm. because I had created this perfect concept of like this perfect hero, this perfect idol in my mind. And I was really afraid to look anything up to, and have that image ruined for me. And then, you know, I went on about life and I started learning more about Reich unwillingly, you know, like cloud busting. Um, Kate Bush was a big part of that. Just images online, sure. like, um, you know, being like a little teenager with unlimited Internet access. I found images of Oregon accumulators. It was like, that's weird and upsetting to me. <laughs> I'm not gonna read about that. Um, but then in college, I started reading more I wrote a few essays on Reich in my classes and I stopped being so afraid of this gargantuan figure that I kind of created in my own mind and started getting to know the real character that was Wilhelm Reich <laughs> yeah um that's interesting yeah I guess maybe I I first heard of him through I assume it must have been Wilhelm Reich in hell by Robert Anton Wilson, which is the <laughs> the play he wrote. Um, Cause that, I can't, maybe I'd seen his books around before that cause they had those really iconic covers and on those, uh, uh, I can't remember the publisher. Do you know, you know the publisher, right? Was it? Foster Farrar, right? Yeah. I want to say that's right, but I'm not or is sure. It, yeah. I could go and run to my bedroom and check. Right. Was it FSG maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, you know, you see him around, but yeah, that was my introduction to him. And Wilson would talk about him quite a bit. And that was, you know, in my teenage years, early 20s, I was very interested in that that realm. So that's kind of how I came to it. And I'm certainly not like super well read in, in Reich, but... It's hard to be. <laughs> right. I always co I come back to it very often because he's so interesting. Um, but that's what, yeah, it's cool to, you know, take a moment to focus on on this one figure who's pretty well known, like in a lot of very diverse circles, but who is sort of maybe misunderstood. Yeah. Um, Dave, how did you first hear about Reich? Yeah, I would say probably Robert Anton Wilson type stuff and general mention in, I guess, kind of occult para weird type podcasts and stuff. Um, the biography, obviously very intriguing, the kind of uh, McCarthy era witch hunt, I suppose. And the idea of the, the seizing of his research and the destruction of uh, the materials and stuff was always fascinating. Um, again, I'm, I'm in the same boat where I'm, I don't consider myself well read on Reich at all, uh, more kind of tangential experience with his work and influence. Um, but it is kind of amazing. Like what, what do you see as being the most important part of his uh, diverse body of work to you and your, your time spent, 
up at the center in Maine? Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's a great question. I just want to touch back. Um, I mean, the things I discovered about Reich unwillingly were me, you know, going in kind of the esoteric part of the internet per se as a teenager hmm. in like early college years, um, especially getting involved with like the Temple of Psychic Youth community and, you know, things tangently create um, related to William S. Burroughs or Genesis Peorage. Um, that was a lot of um, where the Reiki and stuff came up. And it was mostly in like the the format of memes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, it's very, a lot of his concepts were really far out and at least at first or second or third glance, very laughable and then thus memeable. But um, no, I mean, I think, for me, at least, the one thing I find so thrilling and exciting about Reich, his work, um, is, you know, he's the first person in Western psychology to really draw a connection between the mind and the body. And you read, you know, The Body Keeps the Score, and you read The Function of the Orgasm by Wilhelm Reich, written in, I believe, the 20s. And the similarities are undeniable. It's really shocking that we were onto this, you know, a century ago. Um and but Reich as a person and his story, I think one of the most important things was or one of my big takeaways was, you know, the silencing of um, how a voice can be silenced in its own time and then erased from history. I mean, one thing, one of my first tasks at Organon, um, I served pretty much as like the executive director, David Silver's go to hand person or like um Secondhand man. Sorry, I'm <laughs> antibiotic, so I'm not thinking super clearly. I'm so sorry. Um, and one of my first tasks was, well, we were redesigning the museum and updating it for the first time since it was founded in 1960, which was a huge task. Wow, yeah. Um, and a I guess like a decade beforehand, um, Someone had someone working at the museum had started stealing books from Wilhelm Reich's personal library. And so they put um, plexiglass over the bookcases and it just created this really hostile image that we didn't trust people who came to the museum. And the you know, the world of Wilhelm Reich is really secretive and shut off to begin with, for better or for worse. Um and one of our main goals was kind of reversing that effect and taking the plexiglass off the books was, you know, really symbolically powerful. So that was my first task. Huh. And um, it was to take the plexiglass down and then rearrange the books per photos that David had taken when he first came to the museum in the 90s, I believe, because um, they had been rearranged a million times. And we were just trying to get them to be as accurate as possible as when Reich was there. And... I did so, but I took one creative liberty in that I found Reich had a copy of Senator McCarthy's manifesto. And um, that was really fascinating and kind of, you know, hurt my stomach to think about for a bit because he knew what he was up against. He knew the climate he was working in and he, you know, knew what, knew who his enemy was and had that text on him. And so yeah. the one liberty I took in, you know, reorganizing the bookshelves was to um, kind of have a the books divided in a way so that if you looked in a certain angle, you could see that manifesto and viewers could be like, oh, wait, shit, this is interesting, right? Was self-aware of 
what was going on in his time. Um, And so I think the legacy of Reich, (laughs) forgive me, (laughs) sorry. Um, No, I mean, I think Reich, Reich was the first person, or God, sorry, the only person whose books were destroyed by both the Nazi party and the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. And I think his tale as, you know, a cautionary one is very important. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah, that is, yeah, the because I, I tend to forget. I, did he die in jail? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Like I, in Pennsylvania, actually. Where? I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Not Lewisburg, not Harrisburg. Let me look it up. I really. That's look. crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> I can feel yeah. it now. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I, that's brutal. Yeah, it's. Um, I forget the name of the prison. Continue talking and I will remember where it is. I'm just looking it up. Yeah, it's, I don't know, checked against the fact that- Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, Lewisburg, yeah. Yeah. That's got to be out west, huh? Or is that- I think it's central, isn't it? Yeah, like close to Harrisburg, I think. Yeah. That's that's your territory, not mine. (laughs) Yeah, I thought maybe like north central. (laughs) Lewis something, I don't know. Yeah, it's out there somewhere, yeah. Yeah, I don't, it's fascinating that he worked at a time with both Einstein and Freud, um, and yet was so heavily per, uh, persecuted. Um, you know that like didn't go a long way, I guess. Well, I mean, he was a very difficult person. If you read um, Sheriff's uh, Fury on Earth, it really gets to the core of Reich was a difficult guy to be around hmm. and was really a black and war white kind of person. And it was very polarizing. And hmm. I mean, his relationship with Freud, he was Freud's wundekind until they kind of had a falling out where Reich wanted to go more into the sexual st- side of psychotherapy and psychoanalysis while Freud and his crew were trying to step away from that just because the rise of the Nazi party and the anti-sex movement in Germany at that time and trying to really legitimize themselves as a science and not get into, you know, degenerate stuff. Right. Um, I was fortunate enough to have access to the archives at the museum. And, um, well, it's not an unknown fact, but Reich really wanted to be at Einstein's levels of reverence. And he wrote Einstein and they met and um, he showed Einstein his theories of orgone energy. And Einstein was like, okay, man, that's cool. Like, mm-hmm. you do you, but please uh, don't don't put my name on anything of yours. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't want to be related to any of this. Did he, uh, did Einstein, you like, use some of the technology or something? Or is that lore? I kind of forget. That's just lore. Yeah. Einstein thought Reich was harmless, but <laughs> cuckoo. Yeah, yeah. He just didn't want to be a part of what he was going on about Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, so he was kind of on the, that border of like, what would you call it? Uh, legitimate, like not legitimacy, because that's subjective, but um, official, you know, respectability and then yeah, total no. fringe stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And- later and deeper into his career the more fringe he became Hmm. i mean he was kicked out of germany for his beliefs he fled to norway then the nazis invaded norway and he fled 
Mm. And then he came to the United States and as Sheriff wrote, him being such a difficult person kind of isolated himself from, you know, the world of American psychotherapy and psychoanalysis and kind of shuttered himself away in Rangeley, Maine until yeah. the FDA of all government powers right. came up to him. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. What was yeah. his relationship like with like the Jungians? Because I feel like that's another, if if anything, I don't often hear them in the same breath. Do you know anything about like what he thought of that? I do not. I, um, at my time in Oregon, I really focused on Reich as a person and really trying to mm. humanize him. Mm. So I feel like <laughs> the Wilhelm Reich Museum website has a lot of great information. I'm going nice. to show them a lot on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I can't answer that for sure. Mm. I'll answer it. I think that they... <laughs> uh, Reckless speculation. Yeah. Well, yeah. they, they both, they're both like kind of disciples of, or, you know, yeah. contemporaries of Freud. So, um, I, yeah, I wonder about that. And I'm sure there's literature on it, but... Um, that's yeah, it seems specific. So yeah, so they kind of went in the... like different directions. Like uh yeah, right. Reich being, you know, as you're saying, creating some kind of treatise with the body and mind and Jung kind of expanding the mind out into the you know, the noosphere or something like that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean they all worked with Freud. They were all related to that and then all kind of went their separate directions, Reich going in a very, very separate one than the others. Mm. I think it's yeah. Um, so he started out sort of as a what he was like a sort of Marxist type guy. Is that correct? Yeah, he was um involved with the Communist Youth Party um or movement rather back in Vienna. Um, and then he got kicked out of the party for hit for being you know um. A sex pervert to put it lightly um that's the actual official term they used um <laughs> <laughs> that's not true but um they should, no, yeah. because, i mean with especially with stalinism being staunchly anti-sex that went mm. very much against what reich was standing for um the the museum holds a conference every summer and um last summer it was on reich and his therapeutic practices and contemporary therapy, which was so exciting to be a part of. Um, and I remember it wasn't a quote from Reich, but it was a quote from like a communist sexual liberation party or something um, that really summarized Reich's view on sexuality that I think about a lot, which is um, sex should be as regular and as satisfying as a cold glass of water on a hot summer day. Hmm. <laughs> and um because i mean with reich's legacy you hear sex you hear the organ boxes you hear weather control things get out of control really quickly and um so reich was the first person he was he coined the term the sexual revolution and what we saw play out in the 60s while it was fun wasn't his vision at all um mm. reich wanted people to have more meaningful sex and more meaningful relationships with their bodies and others rather than just more sex, which is what we saw in the 60s. Right, yeah, um, more more and more, like, I don't know, it diverse? It was very, <laughs> it was very um, well, I mean, what we saw in the 60s was very much about consumption, I think. It was mm. very... Um, True, yeah. A new, 
early capitalist approach to or a capitalist misunderstanding of Reich's um, teaching per se. Um, yeah. And especially, you know, I'm in the rare camp of viewing Reich's work through a feminist perspective because I went to a historically women's college. Um, I think what we saw in the 60s was very, very much um, a purposeful misinterpretation of Reich because it really was, um, you know, it's it's if you don't have sex with me, you're not cool or you're not hmm. liberated enough. And, you know, it's manipulation. Yeah. And, that makes yeah, that's sense whatsoever again yeah. and so much medicine <laughs> no that does make sense that's because yeah when i anytime i kind of approach the reich literature he's talking about sex in a very uh specific way that i feel like is very easy for people to uh use for other ends in that in that way Absolutely. he's yeah like the repression and like all the stuff about armor like all like mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. oh armoring yeah and I mean, there's the um, 1971 film, I want to say, W.R., The Mystery of the Organism. Yeah. That's a complete um, mis misunderstanding and misconstrue whatever of yeah. um, Reich's word. And I mean, it's a fun movie, but it's not what he was aiming for at all. And his, yeah. son, his son, Peter, was involved in the shooting of that film. And some of it was actually shot at Organon and in Rangeley. Hmm which was really interesting. Um, that is a cool movie, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, exactly wise, it's really fun, but yeah. a lot of people in, you know, like the tight-knit Wilhelm Reich community are not happy about it. <laughs> interesting. I can see that, yeah. I feel like that's something that happens with uh, thinkers whose ideas are kind of tr like truly countercultural. <laughs> like uh, yeah. their ideas are not digested in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, when you put something out into the world, you can't really control how it's going to be interpreted. You just have to hope that you were concise and clear enough. Mm. Yeah. And to, to backtrack for a second, too, isn't like a fundamental difference between Freud and Reich that Reich was like trying to create therapy for workers and Freud treated mainly like the aristocracy and stuff? Well, I know that Reich worked with Viktor Frankl, who wrote one of my favorite essays, Man's Search for Meaning. And um, they collaborated with the free clinics and, you know, the low-income clinics in Vienna for the people who, you know, I, I believe Reich has something on this. I'm I'm not, I'm paraphrasing, but saying that the people that really, like, be would benefit the most from therapy and the most from psychoanalysis are the people who can't afford it. Mm. And so they ran, you know, clinics for youth, clinics for single mothers, clinics for poor, homeless people, whatever. Um, I'm not sure where Freud landed on that. I, I can't say that for sure. But um, I mean, in his last till, will and testament, Reich said that one of his main things was that if someone were to practice organ therapy, he'd want it to be affordable and accessible because those are the people who needed it. And I mean, mm -hmm. I'm in Reiki and therapy right now, and it's a little pricey, but I can still afford it. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think Reich anticipated, you know, American health insurance, but... Yeah. <clears throat> That's true. Yeah. That's funny. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, it just, it's this uh, being able to afford any kind of psychological, like, 
practice of any kind is it's kind of funny how hard it is um and i wonder yeah if if that played a role in like that era i feel like it must have you know it must have right you know uh Yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time, you know, like, you know, the meme, oh, this is the, every guy's Roman Empire. My Roman Empire is what if the Third Reich hadn't happened and those clinics remained open? What would have come of them if we saw generations of low income people in accessible therapy like that? You know, I'm sure I'm viewing it in an idealized light. I'm sure the therapy wasn't as perfect as I hope and imagine it would be, but it's just... Yeah. I think about that a lot. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny. It's funny you brought up uh, Burroughs. I just started reading <laughs> uh, Cities of the Red Knight, mm -hmm. uh, which is mind blowing. But the whole uh, the very first thing about it, it's like a foreword or like some little intro. It's about the like pirate. uh like libertarian not libertarian and as we know today but like <laughs> the communistic libertarian like pirate utopias and how if things had just not progressed in exactly the way they had we could possibly be living like in one of those pirate utopias today yeah Yeah. I I love Burroughs. I mean, one really funny thing I found at Oregonon was that um <laughs> so where I lived on the museum grounds was the students' laboratory, which was the first building built on the property. Um, and it's where Reich would host like labs and sessions and all the, you know, intelligentsia from New York and Philly would come up to Rangeley and go to these events. And um, then it became like a, it was a conference building and then it sat vacant. And then I moved in. They they bought me a king size bed, which was great. And they just kind of popped in the back room and said, here, this is yours. You're going to be here all summer. Have fun. And I did. <laughs> um But I was digging around and I found a stack of French pornography magazines from the 70s that had been saved because they all had articles on Reich in them. And again, I think that goes to say a lot about Reich's like immediate legacy after his death. Um, there's a great quote from David Silver um, in Michelle Crystal's article that she wrote on her time at Organon. Um, I'll link it to both of you after this. Yeah. But he says, Reich would have been as well known as Freud if he had died in a plane crash in the 40s. And I think about that a lot Interesting. as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's if he had pulled a Buddy Holly, it's so much to think about. But Yeah. um, Huh. there was an article in these pornos, and one of them, and it had like Jane Birkin on the cover, But there was an article written by Burroughs called My Life in the Organ Boxes, which I think is such a good good title. Yeah. Um, and he owned an accumulator. There's, you know, that photo of Kurt Cobain sitting in his, his backyard in Texas waving, looking like a cutie. Um, Burroughs swore by them. And I actually bought um, a selection of Burroughs' personal letters from um, Ben's store. Hi, Ben. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And he, he speaks about the boxes <laughs> a lot in them, which is just... huh. It's really fun. Yeah. I should really read some of these books. Uh, really So, cool, man. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. I love, uh, the idea of, of, of the Oregon accumulator. Obviously it's like the most, a, a lot of stuff around Reich seems, um,
sensationalized. The accumulator is a very hard pill to swallow. But I love it. I love Yeah. uh, I love a an apparatus, you know, as like any kind of machine, you know. Like so you sat It's a in slippery one. What, slope there, buddy. yeah, well, you know, like uh what's the, the, the Kafka story in the penal colony? I love that. I read that at work a few days ago. Yeah. I yeah, it's one of my favorite Kafkas. Um <laughs> yeah. no, I I love a machine. I I get it. Um and yeah, I sat in an accumulator. I tried to make a daily practice of it, which I wasn't fully successful in. But um There's something to it. I can't put my finger on it. A lot of people swear by them, but I didn't feel anything super strong, but there's something to it. I, um, Yeah. in the conference building where I lived for four months, um, there was a room next to my bedroom called the Orgone Room, which was just a whole room that was a giant Orgone accumulator. And then there were regular sized accumulators inside, so you could like... For better, for like, for better, or for worse phrasing, you
Then the second and most um, common type of visitor were people that Rangeley's apparently famous for fly fishing. I'm not in that scene, but apparently that's a really big deal there. And so people would come for the outdoors. It's gorgeous in Maine. There are these huge lakes in that town. Um, and it was a rainy day and they went on the Rangeley town website to see what there's to do that's not outdoors and they're like oh um a museum that costs ten dollars to get into let's try it out why was this weird german here to begin with and they come in and they'd either laugh when they see the word orgasm or like very softly lean into me and be like do you do you really believe in all of this <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> what's going on and my answer was sometimes Sometimes yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, it depends on what part of all of this you're asking me about. Um, and it was great because sometimes you'd see these guys in like full camo hunting gear get lost in Reich's extensive library or like listen to the recording we had of him speaking to an audience on loop a few times over and just like get really into it. Or again, just laugh at the word orgasm or like have a funny photo in the box and that was it. Yeah. And then the third and the least, the the smallest population that came in and my least favorite population that came in were the hippy dippy people with vague conceptions of energy who would tell me about vaccines and 5G. Mm -hmm. um, Hell yeah, that's my people. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm on the esoteric podcast. So I'm yeah, no. to the, the main <laughs> listeners. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh... But they, um, I mean, once you get into the territory of a life energy, you're going to attract those kinds of people. Sure. And um, most of the time they weren't proselytizing, but sometimes they were, and it was really fucking annoying. But mm. again, the least common yeah. type to come in. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was thinking about that, actually. We did an interview with... Um, this fellow who's a researcher and sound artist named Carmelo Pampolonio. And, um, he was, name. yeah, he was, um, <laughs> recently researching, um, the chemtrail community and kind of, um, Ooh. just doing like a survey of that stuff. And he created these great sound pieces of, um, collaging audio from these chemtrail YouTubes and some of the 5g stuff in there as well. Um, but they were actually in those videos talking a lot about cloud busting, kind of like yeah. um, adopting some of that stuff and um, a, a hodgepodge of kind of like mantras. But, you know, this adaptation of, of cloud busting and stuff. And do they, they have like one of the cloud busters set up outside up there, too, right? Yeah, we had... Um... A dismantled one, Reich is buried on the territory or on the property. So there's a dismantled one right next to his tomb. Then there's a fully um, assembled one inside the museum next to the original micro model of one. And there used to be one at like the front gates, but that has since been taken down. Huh. Yeah. Did it work? So you didn't is fire it... that thing up. <laughs> I I didn't fire it up. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the best resource on cloud busting and its legitimacy or not is honestly um Kate Bush. No, no, no. Yeah. Peter Wright's book. Yeah, um, right. Is that what it's dream. based on though, right? Is that 
Like this song yeah, is based on um, the book? I was fortunate enough to meet Peter last summer nice. and it was really a gift. I um had read his book within the first two weeks of being at Oregon. It really made me realize how heavy of a legacy Rikes is and how, you know, this was, you know, a place that I had to handle and manage with a lot of respect because it was a very human place, I think is the best way to put it. Totally. Um, but yeah, um, Kate Bush, <laughs> um, she's still in contact with Peter. They, uh, they email, which is cute. Yeah. Um, they email each other. I think that's the most I can say. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, cloud busting as well as, um, Patty Smith's Birdland mm. was based off of a book of dreams. Interesting. Huh? Really, really beautiful book. I need to reread it again, especially now that I'm not at work on because I read it and there's a part in it where he's speaking about his dad's funeral and how um, William Steig, the, ilus the illustrator, actually drove um, him up, Peter, as a boy, back to Rangeley for his father's funeral. Hmm. Um, oh, wow. And the relationship between Steig and Reich, by the way, is that when Reich was teaching at the new school in New York and living in Forest Hills, um, he maintained a therapy practice and Steig was one of his long-term patients, um, which I, I, I love. That makes, I, I just, it, it means a lot to me. Um, just because even like as a kid, I had this connection to Reich that I didn't know about. And I just feels like uh, destiny or not, you know, it's a pretty strong word, but one way or another, I would have come across Reich. Mm, right. um, I did yeah. <laughs> in a really abnormal way. But, but yeah, it's, I mean, in a pretty big way too. I feel yeah, like. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's something that I find really meaningful. But um, there's a part where Peter's talking about being inside the laboratory after his dad died and looking at the red linoleum floors and being only able to focus on the red floors. And then I go into the museum, you know, I climb up the hill in my little jean shorts and I'm back in the museum and I'm looking at the red linoleum floors and I want to vomit. Um, yeah. just because something so heavy happened there. Um, now I, I just need to read it not being in that place or not being as connected to that place. I wonder if it'd have a different effect on me. Mm. Right. Yeah. I I still haven't actually read that book. I have it. I have, I have Tom Verlaine's copy. Which is oh funny. yeah. You told yeah. me that. <laughs> Yeah, they, yeah they, you should you should really read it, especially if you want to get a little more into Reich. It's um, yeah. it's been out of press for some time, but I know if any viewers want to get their hands on it, I believe there are bootleg copies on Amazon or PDFs online. I would, I'm sure, yeah, recommend going to Ben instead or stores like. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're really desperate, I'm sure you can dig something up. Yeah. You always, almost always can. There's some stuff you can't find, but I'm I'm sure someone made a... I mean, it's a majorly yeah. published book. It's not like yeah. we're talking about like a little one-off project mm -hmm. done by a nobody. Yeah. Bad term to use, but... So about this whole kind of the, I guess like the new age adoption of, of Orgone, what so I assume you weren't selling organite pyramids at, at the museum gift shop. No, because organite was invented <laughs> by someone after Reich's death and yeah. it was made for profit. Organite 
So I had a lady come in with an organite pyramid and it had like Saint Lucy on it. The the saint with the eyes on the platter. I don't I think that's Lucy. I'm Jewish. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Any Catholics in the room? Yeah, um, Dave. Yeah. Can uh, Yeah, Dave, do you know? Can I confirm nor deny? But... <laughs> <laughs> but she was asking me about it and I was like, "Ma'am, I we don't carry that just because that wasn't Reich wasn't alive for that. He wasn't he had no say in the invention or creation of this. So we just we're focusing on Reich specifically, not the right, act. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The the Reich derived yeah. holistic industry. Yeah. Huh. I have like a uh, an organite pyramid because <laughs> I go to these new age conferences whenever I can. Uh-huh. And one... I what? As one does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like very hard not to buy stuff. I mean, for me, I like to buy stuff. So I always end up with like some tchotchkes. And so I have organite pyramid. And I also got one as a gift a while ago. So I have hmm. like a few of them. And it's really funny. <laughs> there, of course, there's, um, I, uh, you know, I understand that the total not connection between Reich and, and that industry. But I think that there's something to, having an object that is made with this like intention. And so it's like this weird sort of, it's almost like a talisman and, mm-hmm. you know, connecting it to yeah, that's what orgone. I was gonna say, the intention. Yeah. No, no, I definitely know what you're saying. And I considered, you know, like if I ever found one at a thrift store or something, I would definitely pick oh, yeah. it up because of that connection. But yeah. it's not something I'm going to seek out and buy off of Etsy. I'm not going to buy <laughs> no. like yeah. an $80 thing of resin i have I spent 80 dollars. i know. love that it's resin though <laughs> <laughs> so crafty it's really crafty did he have like in his lifetime did he make like smaller devices and stuff like smaller orgone accumulators or oh well i have a really great story related to that because an orgone accumulator can be anything it can be an orgone the well the best way is a story to explain this, that um, I was in the kitchen in my little house on Organon. I was prepping something for the summer conference and Reich's granddaughter, Renata Moyes, who's on the board of the museum, was there helping me. And I cut my hand a little bit. It wasn't anything big. And she's like, oh, I wish, oh, I'm going to make you an orgone bowl so that next time this happens, you can put your hand in it and it'll start healing faster. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I haven't heard of that before. And then the next time she came to Rangeley, she had brought a metal bowl that she had um, put steel wool fabric, steel wool fabric around that right. I could just put my hand in. And if I cut myself again, I just put it in and expedite the healing process. Um Reich never made claims that the accumulator would solve diseases or fix anything, but I'd rather help, you know, nature on its course of healing. Hmm. Um, And one of the big things that he was arrested for was the false claim that he claimed the accumulators would cure cancer. And that's why the FDA was going again after him. And, you know, it's a little, you look more into that case. It's a little problematic because he said it wouldn't cure cancer yet. He was only doing trials on people with terminal cancer with the accumulators. So it's, you know, 
speaking mm. about tension, don't know what that was about. But yeah. um yeah, I mean there's the Orgon accumulator, there's the Orgon blaster, there's the Orgon bowl. Um I have something that I picked up from Grey Matter Books in Hadley, Massachusetts a few years ago. Great place. Great, great place. When I was living in Western Mass, I was there all the time. Me too. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, um, five college consortium. But I um picked up this pamphlet. I, for, I think it's from Organomics. I forget exactly, but they had orgone vests. They had orgone socks. They had, I mean, there's the orgone blankets, which my therapist suggested I should probably make one for myself, which I plan on doing. Um, once I want I one of those. A blanket. Yeah, um, the museum is also working on creating orgone blankets. Um, stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, but you can also DIY them. Um, these there's the DOR blaster, which is the um, I don't fully understand that, so I won't go into it. And then the largest invention, which is the cloud buster. Mm. Do you know like cloud what buster. the the makeup of the cloud buster was? Is it like copper or something or metal tubes and water? Okay. Um it's they're huge. I mean, they're like 14 feet tall. Um I don't know the exact components and if something's had to be like made out of certain metals or not, mm. but um because, I mean, again, I've seen videos on YouTube of, you know, kind of far out people making their own cloud busters. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> There's a great one where it's this guy and he has one and it's like two feet tall. And then he's filming the sky and you can see like a clear edit and then a cloud <laughs> disappears. And he's like, it worked. It, it worked. I, I, I busted the cloud, even though like the cloud buster is supposed to make clouds like he, yeah, he yeah. didn't. He didn't even understand the prompt correctly. He busted the whole matrix open. He busted. He, he yeah. He messed up big time. <laughs> That's yeah, because so it was weird. it was supposed to like create rain, right? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there's a story where there was a drought in Rangeley, and Reich used the cloud buster, and it helped you know bring the blueberry harvest for that year. Hmm. Um, blueberries. Um. I don't know much about that other than, you know, the blurb I just said, but <laughs> oh. I believe there's something in the museum about that. I believe we have a little audio tour on that part of it. Huh. Well, so what is the museum like? What do they have? Like what sort of like what kind of museum items do they like to show off? Yeah. Um, so the museum is Reich's laboratory um it's on top of a big hill and it's in i forget the name it's it's a bauhaus inspired building it's american international movement of architecture if you look it up it's a crazy building it does not fit in rural maine at all but it's beautiful i really really liked the building um and well i this last summer was the first time i had been there so i had never seen the museum when it was open in its old format, which was guided tours that would happen three times a day. Um, and one of my main tasks at Organon was helping David 
restructure the museum to, you know, fit into the 21st century because it had been changed since 1960, since it was founded. Mm. So we created, or mostly David, I just helped, um, these kiosks with these little um, self-guided audio tours where you could hit a button and be like, well, Humbrick's early life. He was born in the territory now known as Ukraine. Then hit another thing. Oh, his work with Freud. Oh, his, you know, little email or not they didn't have email sorry his letters with einstein um emailing einstein yeah he felt like einstein in the 40s it's crazy <laughs> um, but one of the one of my favorite displays was a collection of all his published books all the physical books and you know a little display speaking about his books being destroyed by the u.s government then there's a cloud buster in there there's a back room on his legacy, as well as a collection of books about Wilhelm Reich, which is mm. really fun. I fought tooth and nail to get Reich's um, Stetson cowboy hat in the museum to continue to be displayed because he went out on an expedition to Tucson, Arizona. I forget what years. It was like a year or two. It wasn't a long time. And Peter wrote about it at length in A Book of Dreams. Um, and well, Reich really fancied himself a cowboy. His favorite TV shows were westerns, and he had huh. this beautiful, like gray cream colored Stetson hat that any photo from the Arizona expedition, he is wearing it, and he looks so <laughs> good. <laughs> um, and so I was like, David, we gotta keep the fucking hat. Like, it makes him so human. It's so human. That was, like, the key word for me. It was just so real. Mm. And so the hat's there, which was, I'm really happy about. Awesome. Yeah. Then um, the organ accumulators, of course, we have an early model, then a later model. So one's just sheet metal. And then the other one was um, more of a mesh, a perforated metal that Reich said helped it breathe more easily. Mm. But... um. Then you go up to the second floor, which was Reich's personal study, and you see all his beautiful books. Um, and there's a digital archive that you can buy for like $15, I believe. And it has a list of every single book in his bookshelf. And so you can see some really crazy stuff in there. Um, but I think, honestly, the best part was David got his hands on Reich's um, personal reel-to-reel -reel mm. and wire tapes and he, he had this um, loop playing of Reich giving a goodbye speech at one of his conferences so you get to see you get to hear him speak you know he has this thick Austrian accent that's really you have to really tune in to understand it um, and it just brings a lot of life to again the character of Wilhelm Reich and you see his desk, you see his personal record collection. Um, if you go to the third floor, you get to see his um, paintings, which aren't very good. <laughs> but the hippy-dippy types that came into the museum would go nuts for them. They would go cuckoo banana because hmm. um, they're very loosely, you know, like they're very like new age kind of painting yeah. appeal to that group because he was trying to capture the essence of orgone energy via an image and they're they're amateur they have a lot of charm to them um but i think i i 
I, again, I got to go behind the scenes a lot and I got to interact with a lot more than the average viewer would. Um, I got to go through his desk drawers and see, you know, it was devastating. You'd go in, you'd see a, like an eraser that had been left there since the, the late fifties or like a pair of um, eyeglasses that had like celluloid frames that dry rotted just from sitting there for decades. Mm-hmm. Um it was really like someone he just got up one day and then he was gone. And that's kind of what happened. And it's really sad. Yeah. It's gonna happen to all of us. Well, not like that. Well, we're not gonna get hopefully <laughs> I'm not gonna get taken away to oh, Pennsylvania right. by the FDA. Yeah. Um I'm I'm avoiding Pennsylvania at all costs. Honestly. I just have to make a few calls. <laughs> They'll be dragging you. Yeah, back why why I wonder why it was Pennsylvania because it was like federal, obviously. It was federal. Yeah. Um I just thought uh, that he had a sort of a PA vibe. <laughs> well Humbreich visits Allentown, Pennsylvania. <laughs> that would be so cool. Oh. Or even uh I feel like he would like um Pittsburgh. <laughs> hmm. I'm just kidding. Do you <laughs> uh did you come across any like crossover between Reich and like theosophical stuff because when you're talking about the paintings it, it reminds me of um Annie Besant and CW Ledbetter's like thought forms which is kind of like or images of auras and stuff like that um probably it's kind of in the it's it's in the era of Reich although it predates it by maybe like what 20 years or something yeah no I'm familiar with what you're speaking about and I mean there's definitely there's definitely an overlap. I'm not sure if he was aware of their practices, but mm. um, for my birthday last October, I saw um, an exhibit of Edvard Munch's paintings, and there was a sketch on display that kind of had to do. It was like a vaguely chakra-y thing about you know the body and energy, and I was like, this is Wilhelm Reich. Like this is so similar to his work and his like his paintings and also his ideas. Um, so I'm I I and that was before Reich. That was like in the 1890s mm-hmm. or and so I'm not sure if there's any direct relation, but there's definitely an overlap. I don't think, you know, the idea of bodily energy is exclusively a Reichian thing. I think a lot of other um people, cultures, practices abide by that. So I'm not yeah. surprised that there's an overlap at all. Yeah, I think, I think that theosophical stuff got around a lot, too, especially coming from Germany. And there was lodges kind of everywhere in Europe. And that was a big thing with, uh, like, socialism as well, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But, I mean, Reich never wanted to be seen as an esoteric figure. Again, right. he wanted to be as held in high regards as Einstein. Um, but, you know, with, you know, Der Fall, Der Wilhelm Reich, he kind of became a fringe and esoteric character and started to get associated with those kinds of things. For yeah. So, I mean, I believe that's one of the reasons I was so attracted to him. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the hair. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. There's a great quote from Steig where he's like, you know, you meet, you met Reich and he was someone who was truly alive. He looks like a baby chimpanzee. I saw a photo <laughs> where he looks like a baby chimp. <laughs> I know the photo he's talking about and he does. That's awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. He's uh yeah, he's a very striking looking kind of figure. Yeah, yeah. So what was I gonna say? Um 
I don't remember. I'm I'm on the way out. I'm like curious, <laughs> curious if you've seen any like I'm sure the the psych psychological aspects are um reevaluated often, but I'm I'm kind of wondering about more like the orgone energy stuff if it's kind of been reassessed and and maybe validated in in scientific papers and stuff at all. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, after his death, Reich was kind of, or even before his death, he was kind of blacklisted from any scientific community or any leg one that would take him legitimately. Um, and so if you want to study that stuff, you have to have funding and no one would fund anything related to Wilhelm Reich just because, you know, most of science saw him as, oh, this guy that went insane after, you know, a certain point in his early work's valuable, but then just talks everything in the later career out the window. So not much work has been done that I know of just because no one wanted to fund it or be associated with the name. Yeah. Huh. Uh, like the private silicon, like even like before that, like Esalon and stuff, I would have to imagine people were maybe experimenting and testing that. I, don't, I wonder. I'd have to go searching for some of that stuff. We had a lot of visitors talk about Esalon. Yeah. Uh, I bet lots of people coming in from that yeah mm -hmm. well it's just, yeah i feel like he after his death he must have aside from like the actual reikians you know he must have <laughs> found a, a home in, in that milieu of like west coast like experimental psychology and yeah. human potential and all that i feel like that's probably where at least part of his you know the the debris of his legacy landed um yeah, absolutely what I mean, like, we're thinking about will uh william yeah. s burroughs in the oregon boxes and timothy leary mm, that's right yeah yeah like that that kind of circle absolutely yeah for sure yeah uh i want to make sure some yeah i want to make sure i say he has perhaps the best run of good book titles <laughs> His book titles are so good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mass Psychology of Fascism, um, Function of the Orgasm, Listen, Little Man. <laughs> Incredible. Hit uh, after hit, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one that is really crazy uh, that I had a copy of for a while. I mean, the Function of the Orgasm is crazy to title a book. Good work. What is the the one that's like Christ? Oh, uh, the murder of Christ. Murder of Christ, iconic. Yes. Oh, yeah. You can't beat that one. That one's really good. There's another, like, cosmic super. Cosmic superimposition. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Killer. Um, and I, that's something I really respect is. Uh, Swinging for the fences. Yeah. He really, titles. he went really hard. I think that's just the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Willie really went all out. <laughs> Doctor, so what is? Well, that's what uh, I call him in Rangeley. Um, he was dope. known as Doctor Willie. Yeah. What is Reikian therapy like? Well, my doctor says not to really speak too much about it, just because it ruins the the you know. Yeah, just very very generally. I lay down on the bed. That could go a lot <laughs> of ways. Well, yeah, but... no, 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 no. I mean, like it's very. <laughs> It's very yeah. Freudian in the sense you lay down yeah. um, and you focus on your breathing. Um, 
it's a lot of breath work because when mm. I first went into organ therapy or Reiki and therapy, I prefer to call it that, I didn't really know what I was expecting. I just knew it had to do a lot with the body. It was a very somatic experience. And I was like, okay, am I getting like a massage? Am I going to be touched during this? You're not. That's um, good. Yeah, a lot of it is breath work. Um, and That's good. Yeah. relearning how to breathe, I think is the best way to put it. Mm. Does it help? I've seen a lot of um I've seen a lot of growth from when I started in November. Mm. Um and I mean again, like I've gone th through some major life changes since I um yeah. started therapy. I mean, like I left Western Mass and moved to New York City. I ended a significant relationship. Um and this like helps, like kind of you think with, with like changes? Well, I I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've been making a conscious effort to work on myself and I think therapy has really helped me push through that. Um, but a lot of it is a lot of deep trauma work. And again, finding out where in your body you store trauma or, you know, bad experiences. I know trauma is such a bad buzzword, but right. we're, we're literally speaking about therapy and that's what this mm. is. Um, yeah. Do they and use that like nomenclature? Um, I'm not sure if he did exactly, but yeah. uh, I think it was more like, you know, experiences, traumas, um, you know, impactful things from one's youth, etc. Um, I'm not sure when the term trauma really started being popularized in therapy, but yeah, I mean, I store a lot of stuff in my upper chest and my upper back and neck, um, huh. which I was already aware of, but see I'm doing a breath now um I believe therapy has helped so far I it's it hasn't been easy it hasn't hmm. been fun necessarily a lot of it is difficult work but you know it's important work I'm not suffering in vain it's very meaningful and focused discomforts yeah that's so it's interesting for, I mean for what from what it sounds like it sounds wildly like the psychoanalytic stuff that Jung and Freud were doing yeah I mean it's very much like 20th century psychology it's very much similar to that mm. I think it's the closest one could get to lying on Freud's couch <laughs> but there's no like dream uh interpretation or is there my doctor doesn't do yeah. that I don't really think so yeah I yeah I'm, I'm just so interested in where the where Reich diverged from like the main current of, of psychoanalysis and, and then where, where psychoanalysis got left behind by psychology and and wherever we are now like neuropsychology like uh ssri psychology yeah but, you know. yeah. But yeah you're absolutely right and i mean i've been wondering a lot about i take ssris and i wonder if that interacts with my therapy now and the role being on the antidepressant plate antidepressants plays in therapy um there's a lot to say on that and I think speaking to someone who's a little more knowledgeable on you know Reich as that in the, in that direction would be yeah better I I can't really oh. say necessarily oh yeah it's, we're we're in that realm of <laughs> The realm of pure speculation. Mm -hmm. um, no, absolutely. Great place yeah, which to is, be. Yeah, that's the... It's after all. But um, 
No, yeah, it's really, I'm just really, I'm so interested in that, the, the different like methodologies in these, in these forms of, of therapy, because I feel like we live in this culture where in, in which therapy is a drug that you're able to take almost like you go to therapy for this result of being someone who functions good Yeah. Yeah, and no, like the amount of like therapy is hot tote bags I see in the city is crazy. Um, and it's, it's therapy isn't a cure-all obviously. And a lot of it, I mean, like I'd been, I've been in talk therapy since I was a child and this is my first time in, you know, quote unquote alternative therapy and Reiki and therapy. And my doctor says I speak too much and I need to feel more. I intellectualize too much. And I mean, I agree. I do think I, I, I do think modern therapy encourages us to intellectualize our feelings too much instead of just feeling and experiencing them, which is what Reiki and therapy aims to do, at least in my interpretation. Mm. that's kind of his whole thing has to do with that what where our feelings go right and like Yeah. what that's doing to to the entire world Yeah, exactly. And not just for oneself, but also society. I mean, there's a lot of that in function of the orgasm and mass psychology of fascism. In which, yeah I mean, like, he pretty much says fascism is racism and um, sexual frustration, <laughs> which, like, Huh. I mean, super, super simplified, but Yeah. he has a point. There's there's a point made there. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I know he didn't want to be regarded in this esoteric way, but it it feels like it relates so much to uh, like alchemical stuff and the transmutation of emotions into like forces in the world and stuff. And I'm not familiar with that person's work. If you could walk me through that, I'd appreciate that. I was just saying like alchemical texts and stuff um, and like the idea of like an egregore, like, you know, like alchemy rather. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about uh, the occult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, like how things have one shape and then they're kind of transposed out into the world and and they take this shape that is hard to recognize like um one person's I mean, what was his idea of like emotional con not an emotional plague like what is that The emotional plague is later in his career, and I'm not exactly sure. I will yeah be perfectly honest. it's quite a good name <laughs> it's a great name. It's a great name. he's kind of like uh the Hemingway of uh of psychoanalysis in that all of his things have these excellent titles I No, no, I can see that. I mean, I think in the titles and also just like a very strong... force to a fault i think um i don't want to throw the word machismo around but something similar to that that kind of brute force which is eventually harmful to oneself Hmm. Huh. Do you think, what do you think he could have done that would have changed the outcome of his life? <laughs> if you could go back it's to a little more young, receptive Be a young little more Reich. receptive to criticism and learn how to to bend and not break. I think that's the best way to put it. He really did not like um I'm I'm missing the word here, but
um, adjusting or watering down his views, which is respectable. But I mean, like in his trial, he refused to accept a lawyer and represented himself. Ooh, yeah. Classic mistake. That is a classic, well, classic mistake. Classic was yeah. really, really not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like Charles Manson or something. I'm... Charlie <laughs> had I a think lawyer. He, and a... Yeah, he had, right. Even Charlie had a lawyer. Yeah. That's what I should have said. <laughs> that's a good book title there. Charlie yeah. had a lawyer. That's yeah. a very good, that's like a good like song title. Well, I'm thinking about like, you know, the clashes Charlie, True. Charlie can't. Five. lawyers guns and money so do you want to talk a little bit about the work that you were the artistic practice that you were doing up at sure yeah. yeah i mean i um i was making paper which was really meaningful it's a very meditative um process-based art form and it's a very bodily art form i mean it's very physical um and I felt very connected to the landscape and the nature there while doing so. Um, but the main the main project that came out of um, my time there was I'm, I'm working on a book um, called Camp Organon. And it's like a Myra Coleman kind of book. It's comic-y, kind of um, self-biographical, but just bits and pieces of the summer that I found interesting or meaningful alongside my own illustrations. Um, and really focusing on the people and the characters I met. Um, there was one guy who, um, I misheard his name, but uh, let's refer to him as Randy Porcini because that's why I thought he introduced himself to, to me as. Um, he came to the museum the first day it opened and we chatted for 20 minutes. And he was like, you know, I wasn't really... I didn't really know who Wilhelm Reich was until I came here. My family owns a cabin on Muslukmukantik Lake. Um, I come here every summer. I just, I find this place really meaningful. I'm like, that's great to hear, Randy. Thank you so much. I'll, I'm sure I'll see you around because there are five people in this town. Um, and then a few days later, he came to the conference building where I was living and I was working with David and he knocked on the door and he David answered it and he was like, I need to speak to Sarah. He was like out of breath and sweating. So David was like, okay, um, Sarah, you have a middle-aged man waiting for you. Um, and Randy was there and he's like, look, I love this place. And I like to, you know, sit on the bench on the top of the hill overlooking the lakes and draw. Um, will you please let me mow the lawn? I would love to cut the grass just as, you know, like an offer as a, contri a contribution to the museum. And um, I was like, well, I'm not in charge of anything. Let me grab David, who actually runs the place and open the door for you. And David came over and he's like, yeah, sure, you can do that. Our mower's broken, but like bring whatever you can do it. Thank you, I guess. And then a few days later, I was working at the museum and Randy rocks up with a weed whacker. And I mean, the museum's like... 100x acres it's a huge amount of property a weed whacker will do nothing mm -hmm. it comes up and he asks me and david again like are you sure is it okay if i do this and we're like yeah but you're not really gonna get much done with the weed whacker but go ahead he's like great thank you so much i really appreciate it i don't know how to work a weed whacker um he couldn't start it and it was just really you know a series of unfortunate events so just buffoonery going on and on and on um I'm losing steam here and not telling the story as well as I could be. 
But neither he or David could get the weed whacker started. And then he left and then he came back with the weed whacker sticking out the window of his car running. He got someone else to turn it on for him in town. And then he weed whacked a path to the bench and then stopped and went home. Yeah. Um, and I started drawing this comic about him because I was like, this guy is hilarious. Like he when he couldn't get the weed whacker to work, he like sat down and was sweating and was like very clearly looking up on his phone, like how to start a weed whacker, like very embarrassed. Um, so I, he's the reason I started working on the book. Cause I was like, this is a great story that will translate really well into my, my comic style. Um, and then he came by the museum again. And I mentioned I was an artist and he's like, Oh, that's cool. I worked for Marvel when I was in my thirties and forties. I'm a comic artist. <laughs> I would love to see your drawings. I'd love to see like the project you're working on. And he didn't know, you know, I was drawing a comic about him. <laughs> not not making fun of him, but um, you know, some some mockery involved. Um but <laughs> I, I yeah, that, that's the main artistic practice that I got out of being at Organon. I also quilted a lot. I made um it's not an orgone blanket, but it's a quilt with the orgone symbol on it. Because um, one thing I found really striking there was that Reich loved American primitive aesthetics. Mm -hmm. um, you really would expect, you know, someone who had, who viewed himself at, at the, you know, the, the the very edge of modern science to everything chrome, everything sleek. And he just loved like his little New England country cabin look. So I made this quilt out of um, scraps from the Shelburne Quilt Museum. Like they are printed to look like fabrics in the quilts on display there. Mm -hmm. I made that, but my artistic practice, I I didn't get, I didn't make as much as I had hoped. But I really just like, I had so much, so many people, so many experiences there that I need to get in touch with my work again and start working on camp organon again <laughs> yeah that's like a huge part of it too right just taking it all in exactly yeah i was really hard on myself for not making but i was just absorbing so much that now i think i can start to revisit it and process it a little more in my work mm, very cool so, yeah it was um it was wonderful i had a very happy summer i um definitely plan on coming back next summer i'm not um probably not going to work there again because I sold my car <laughs> and <laughs> now live in New York City yeah. and really have a way to get around rural Maine but um definitely going to visit it was really great Rangeley and Organon are very special places for me yeah I need to get out there someday um I'd, yeah I'd love to see that yeah field trip Always yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, huh. I'm definitely going back next summer. And um, Reich's personal home, Tamarack, is owned by the museum and is rented out as an Airbnb by the museum. <laughs> so you I can sleep, there, yeah. you can sleep in Wilhelm Reich's bedroom and like have access to his pond and go swimming. And hmm. oh my god, I heard loons for the first time there, which was really loons are cool. Yeah. They're crazy birds! Wow. Haunting. Um, yeah, yeah, they're beautiful. It was, yeah, no, I, I, I really can't say anything other than that. I loved it there. I had a really 
positive experience. Very grateful to been able to have that opportunity. Um, yeah. Amazing. Do you want to uh, plug any work you got going on? Uh, do you have like an artist website or anything? Or? Well, I um I have my Instagram um at Chater Tot, which is C H A I T E R T O T. Um, I have a lot of my work from my summer at Organon up there. Um, I also post cute pictures of me and good music. Um, so if you want to give me a follow, I would appreciate that. But um, I'm still again releasing work on there. But I think that's all I can really plug for now. That and if you want to go to the Wilhelm Reich Museum, I highly suggest checking out their website. Um, everyone that works there is pretty easy to contact. Um, I think that's all. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Amazing. Thanks for, for joining us on this journey through your work and Reich's uh, storied career. Yeah, yeah I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I mean, I can talk about this stuff for a really long time. If I um, were in better condition, I probably could go on longer. But life, it's it's like that. Sometimes, sometimes you get sick. Sometimes yeah. you get itis. I would love to uh, re revisit some of the specifics now that we have some uh, some guideposts in there. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I also got I took so many photos of the summer, and I had them pulled up on my Google Docs or Google Drive to um reference during our conversation and i didn't but maybe maybe another time we can do that we'll okay. see sounds good <laughs> yeah all right all right that is that is today's consensus on reality <laughs> if you'd like to well the free portion there that's true if you'd like to learn more about consensus on reality join us over at patreon.com slash consensus on reality for everything else that we do this is a public episode for you it's free and we'll be continuing the episode shortly uh consensus on reality on patreon all right we'll take a short break
to the Patreon portion of Consensus Unreality. What's up, Ben? Hey, that was a fun interview about Wilhelm Reich and the world of Organon. A lot of fun. For sure. I was just playing a little music from Aaron Dilloway's Door With No Handle cassette on Chocolate Monk, the Chocolate Monk label by Dylan Nayukis. A little taste coming back in there. Sounds nice. Uh, So I guess since we last spoke in this form... I'm sorry, that was actually on Hanson Records, but the CD was on Chocolate Monk. All right. Let's... uh, I just want to get it right, Ben. (laughs) It's not serious. You just talked about... uh, book titles of Wilm Reich. You were like, he's got sick They're... book titles. Well, I think about these things. Oh, they were um, cool. They were cool. So, uh, was, oh yeah. Since our last uh, Patreon episode, we have released the first issue of The Journal of Shells, the consensus on reality zine that uh, we'll be sending out to print club tier members of the Patreon pretty briefly i just got these very nice stiff cards on patreon.com slash consensus unreality you will find bonus episodes written content and much more this recording contains an exclusive follow-up and bonus episode only on patreon thanks for listening and enjoy the show